You just have a clipboard uh, clipped to the front of everyone's desk. Yeah, that's and then right. The teacher walks in and goes through and reads and goes, like, oh, okay. Had a little spat with a uh, spout with spout? A spat. Spat, spat was right. A spout, a spout is a thing that water comes out of. <laughs> oh, man. I haven't talked to a human in a while. <laughs> Poor Emily. I know. I know. Hello, everyone. I'm Chad, and I haven't worn pants with belt loops in well over three weeks. And I'm Clint, and I'm happy to report that people have been social distancing themselves from me for much longer than two months. And this is School Diff, the podcast made by teachers for teachers. Brought to you by two middle-aged dads and hipster doofuses who talk across the country about our American education system. And we hope this little podcast can bring you back to the good old days where we used to joke about boring faculty meetings and had discussions around managing misbehaved students. <sighs> Strangely, both of those things sound pretty nice right now, and while we were joking, I think, about Clint's pathetic friend situation, and I actually have worn pants with belt loops a few times, life has certainly changed for us, as it has for pretty much everyone. And while the initial panic and uncertainty of distance learning has settled a bit, not that it has become easier, hopefully many of us have started to find some sense of a new normal. And even though I'm feeling like I can manage this routine to finish the school year, starting back up in the fall like COVID-19 never happened is probably not very likely. State and local education leaders are planning for August and September as the uncertainty of managing this pandemic continues to be a moving target. So, putting aside a scenario in which school starts on time and, as usual, with no limitations or restrictions, or a scenario in which we continue with full distance learning, what do you think things might look like in the fall? We're going to talk about a few ideas that are being proposed out there right now. Well, let's start with this one. You sent me a link yesterday, and I actually didn't read through it, but I did look at the photograph on the link about something that Dutch schools are either proposing or that they're doing right now. Could you talk a little bit more about that? So, I read that article because I'm not a like Chad. And uh, basically, the Netherlands has ha have had a much lower infection rate than here in the U.S. And so they're actually getting started with bringing some schools back online right now. Now, they've, when you say online, you mean... Oh, I, I'm sorry. Bringing them back into the classroom. They've bought these plexiglass kind of like cubicles, almost like what you would use to stop somebody from cheating, except for that they're clear. It's sort of like having a sneeze guard uh, in between the students. Uh, but the, their big... Their big, their big innovation is putting up a subway sneeze guard um, around the kid. I just wonder, like, if you have kids that are in these cubicles, like, aren't they getting up and getting pencils? Aren't they walking in the classroom at the same time? How much exposure at a close proximity without these types of guards does it take to pass this virus to somebody else. Uh, one of the biggest things that weirds me out, like we can control what happens in the classroom. It's very difficult to control what's happening in the hallways. Um, and uh, I also read an article written by a um, another teacher who works in the um, Los Angeles School District. And uh, one of the things that he talked about was that the students would be put into cohorts, with high school students especially, they would stay with the same group of kids all day long, and the teachers would go from room to room, and everybody would have kind of a cart. You wouldn't be doing things with pencils. You wouldn't be doing things with paper. They would have a laptop, and they would be doing all their stuff on laptops. And uh, the teacher would roam from room to room, 
to get to those kids. And whoever has them at lunchtime, they would stay in there and eat lunch with them. Everybody would be wearing masks. Everybody would be socially distanced. And students would only be coming to school like one or two times a week. I mean, that proposal, though, does not sound like a lot of fun. <laughs> None of this is. So let's let, let's put that out there right now. But um, it does make probably more sense to me that you would only have one person then who is really kind of changing locations rather than a bunch of kids. But I do have a lot of concern about teenagers with the attitude of like, it doesn't really matter to me and I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah. I can't imagine putting kids into one classroom all day long and not, not having there be issues. Walking into a classroom, you have no idea what happened in the last class. You don't know who's upset with whom. You don't know what's going on. And you walk in and things could be volatile and you've just got to kind of figure that out as you go. I mean, are they going to have like nurses when they pass off uh, one patient <laughs> to the next in, in shifts? They have to like go have like a little protocol where they talk about this is what's happening today. Are we going to have to do that? You just have a clipboard uh, clipped to the front of everyone's desk. Yeah, that's and then right. The teacher walks in and goes through and reads and be like, oh, okay. Had a little spat with a uh, spout with Spout? A spat. Spat, spat was right. A spout, a spout is a thing that water comes out of. <laughs> oh, man. I haven't talked to a human in a while. <laughs> Poor Emily. I know. I know. I think any system we have is not going to also be like an eight-hour day. You know, if we were to take what we're doing now and the struggles that I'm having now with the distance learning, and if I could say, if I could just meet with each kid for 30 minutes a week in person, it would make a ton of difference. I think we will also be expected to do a lot of online. If teachers have already started doing the flipping the classroom thing, I think that that would be beneficial and just kind of getting our, ourselves in the mindset of, okay, we're going to spend most of our time in the classroom helping them with questions and lectures and those kinds of things can be recorded so that they can watch them when they want. Reading assignments can be done outside of the classroom and really making whatever it is that you're doing in the classroom very, very effective from the moment that they step in to the moment that they step out or you step in and they and you step out, whichever. Making sure that all that is taken care of, that, that seems to be a, a pretty big deal. Yeah. I mean, I think the most reasonable thing is kind of that combination of both. You know, if we can figure out a way to safely get small groups of people together and some system, whether it be, uh, I've even heard proposals that some kids would come, you know, from eight to three and others would come from four o'clock to, you know, nine o'clock at night after a deep cleaning throughout the day. And whatever the, whatever those systems are, you know, I think those can kind of be adjusted to, to meet the same need, which is less kids in, in one space and, and, and those kind of things. But if we can find some kind of nice balance of part-time distance learning, you know, a combination of what we're trying to do right now, but with the opportunity to meet kids at least a couple times a week, I think we could be pretty effective with that. I really do. Here's the part that makes me most nervous about doing that is that there are a ton of kids, especially in my district, we have uh, pretty high poverty rates. And I'm, I'm pretty sure Astoria is still in that same boat as well. We have a lot of kids that don't have homes that are conducive to education. Maybe it's loud. Maybe it's messy. They may have other responsibilities at home, like they have to take care of their sibling or they have to get a job so that they can keep the family afloat. And they might not be safe because there might be abuse happening there. And uh, we also have the problem of some kids don't have homes at all. And when we take a resource like a school building that is there to make sure that kids uh, have at least eight hours a day where they're safe, they're fed, and, and warm and dry, and you take it away and only give it to them a couple of times. I mean, it's, it's from necessity, obviously, but what we're doing with these proposals right now is just stretching out that gap between 
the haves and the have-nots even further. We've talked before about how difficult it is to get kids to stay motivated and to get work done during this lockdown. As I've said, I teach mostly upper-level kids. Most of them come from pretty well-to-do backgrounds, and those kids have stayed pretty engaged. My kids who are below the poverty line, they're the ones that are the hardest to get a hold of. They're the ones that don't have the technology at home to do the things that I'm asking them to do. They're the packet kids that have to figure this out using paper pencil. It's less dynamic and and less interesting. I I fear for that segment of the population that we're just going to kind of end up as teachers writing them off and going, well, here's the packet. Those are also the kids where face-to-face contact and the conversations and the relationship building that is most effective. You know, a lot of times the academically motivated kids, I'm just the deliverer of information. In, and, and not that I don't have great relationships with those kids as well, but I don't feel like they need me as much. And and it is the kids who struggle a little bit more with, with all those things that you've listed that having that face-to-face contact, having the chance to say good morning and how was your weekend and hey, is there anything I can do for you is how you can connect with those kids and how you can get you know academic improvement from them. And not only are we not able to contact them or reach them in any way sometimes, with what we're doing right now, but you know, you, you don't get a look into their eyes, and 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 I think sometimes that's that's the thing that uh, they're missing the most to know a real person's on the other end that that cares about them. Which is why, again, kind of going back to if we can develop some system where at least we're getting to touch base with kids on a personal level, minimally a couple times a week, I think we could find more middle ground than we are finding right now this spring. And and you're right. I mean, we're never going to be able to 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 kind of make this completely equal, I don't think. Though I do feel that having the summer for districts to prepare a little bit more in terms of providing technology, uh, getting technology to the people that need it, getting Wi-Fi to places that need it, uh, having print centers at, at certain places. I mean, we literally found out on a Thursday that we were you know, canceling school. And by Monday, we were done for the year. It's not a lot of time to get all this infrastructure in place. And I would hope that, you know, having an entire summer to prepare, we could help close that gap a little bit between the haves and have-nots. Not just thinking about the physical infrastructure of making this happen, but thinking about the human infrastructure that we have in our communities, that if we can link with some groups to become mentors for some of these kids and provide a safe homework space where they can go to Uh, like maybe a person's home or something where they could get access to the Wi-Fi, that they would have a a clean and quiet environment to do work. They'd have a mentor who could help them figure out some of the assignments that need to be done. Obviously, this would need to be well vetted. And we often think, well, retired people could do that. And retired people are at high risk of contracting COVID-19. But I think we kind of have to think outside of the box and also seek help. Like, I don't think that we should try to do it alone. The community as a whole could kind of come together and brainstorm some of these ideas for some of our more disadvantaged kids. You know, one thing that you and I talked about prior to recording today, I know Oregon for sure. It sounds like Virginia has too. Like we've been pretty lenient with kind of how grades are given and and just the expectations for kids because we do know that this is a trying time for a lot of students who have a lot of other things going on. So the kids found out exactly the same time we did that all this was happening. They didn't have any preparation time. Right. So so everyone's being fairly fairly lenient with, with kind of expectations and grades while still trying to you know, get kids to be engaged and, and push them a little bit. If if in the fall we're looking at a similar situation, I anticipate those expectations are going to be raised dramatically. I mean, we have to get to a point where, you know, we have to understand that 
we do have to continue with education and making sure kids are learning new things at a, at a high standard. And so that's another concern that needs to be brought up is just that we have to be more prepared to have those higher expectations, but then to, to give every kid that opportunity to access that, which right now we're kind of understanding that, that maybe not everyone does, which is why we've kind of lowered that, that standard a little bit. The other thing that I can't help but wonder about, and I don't know if you've seen anything about proposals for how we're getting kids to and from school. Obviously, lots of kids depend on busing. That seems like that would be a cesspool of potential <laughs> virus exchange. And I would say a good half to 75% of my high school rides the bus. And, you know, those buses are packed. As they come up with the cohorts, they'd have to also think about bus routes. And it just seems like such a logistical nightmare to figure out, okay, we got to have only this certain amount of people on the bus at any given time. I can imagine possibly running multiple bus runs through the day. And so there's AM kids and PM kids. And so you've actually cut the population of the school down by a fourth. So you see some kids in the morning, you see some kids in the afternoon of an A day, and you see some kids in the morning and afternoon of a B day or whatever. The other consideration that... You you know, I'm reading about too, is like if you're doing an AMPM or at school or the busing or anything is between those times, you're talking about some crews of people coming in and disinfecting things too. And so there has to be like this buffer time and quite a bit of staff to take care of all that. But one of the good things is that we do have the whole summer to figure it out and to put some plans in place. I don't know if Oregon has something like this, but we have Virtual Virginia, uh, which is a like kind of the online school that the state of Virginia runs. And all districts, I think, have been given access access to it and to their online curriculum. And so when it comes time to start up again next year, and it sort of is like an interactive online textbook. And so we can use that to get started. So rather than having to make your own video of the quadratic equation, or for me, like how nouns work, it's already built. And you can add in information. You can you can create your own video that you kind of plunk in, but then you can give them the assignments right there on, the, on this platform. So I think that that's one of the things that we're going to have an advantage of as well, that we're going to have some time, hopefully, to help out with going different places and delivering material as needed, because we don't have to create every single thing from scratch. Like, it sort of felt like we had to do here right at this at the beginning. You know, as we've been talking about this, too, the challenge that we are facing is, you know, things are changing fairly quickly, right? And the kind of prospect of what next month will look like or two months from now will look like. In a lot of cases, people are just kind of like, well, we're going to play this by year. We'll see what the government says next week. In many cases, that's the prudent way to go. You want to see where things are in a week or a month. And the challenge with that is I don't think anyone wants to make a major decision too early, whether that be for fear of public ridicule or just the unknown of if we announce right now that school is not going to start in the fall, a lot of people are going to wonder why we're making that decision so soon. But clearly a lot of things take a lot of planning. And if you decide, well, we'll, we'll wait and make a decision in August, we're kind of going to be in a similar situation we were this spring. You hate to put in a bunch of time if things are going to be fine in the fall, but you also don't want to wait until the very end and, and be unprepared. Right. And I think one of the things that we can see from history and that we can also uh, just kind of anticipate is that we are probably going to go back to this weird hybrid system. And I'm going to guess there will be rolling closures as it flares up. Okay, we got to we gotta lock down. We're going to go back to our shelter in place. Once it sort of passes in your area, then you can start back up again. I think that trying to get all of those contingency plans worked out ahead of time, yes, you don't want to go crazy on it, but you also don't want people to sleep on it. 
you know, maybe we do start up in the fall and everything seems fine. And then whoops, here's November. It's bad again. And we're right back in our same situation. So I, I hope that the people that are in charge and also teachers are thinking about, okay, what am I going to do if this happens? It's kind of like you hope to heaven that it doesn't happen, but if it does, you need to have a plan. Like if you don't do the planning ahead of time, if you don't think it through, then your chances of being able to handle it well are, are greatly diminished. It does not hurt to be prepared. That's for sure. And that's it for us. Please tell us all about what plan you think would be the most effective way to teach while still keeping everyone safe through these unprecedented times. We need some good ideas, as you can you can tell. <laughs> we have an email address for any of your ideas. You can contact us at schooljapodcast at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at Astoria. You can also find me on Instagram at chatterboxes and at my web store, chatterboxes.com. And don't forget about our website, schooljapod.com. As always, a big shout out to my wife, Nikki, for our wonderful theme song and if you like what you heard please subscribe and don't forget to give us a quick rating and review on apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us or if that seems too hard tell a friend to listen or make one of those gender reveal videos that everyone does now except when the balloon breaks instead of blue or pink dust coming out you just yell in the camera listen to school job that's a great idea and you know this podcast is sort of our baby so it totally makes sense um this is not my baby. Babies require a lot more diaper changing than podcasting does. True. Babies make massive amounts of poop. Well, thanks for listening. See you soon. Gotta have a poop joke.